Welcome to the Moonshine Jesus Show. We are pleased to have you with us today. Uh, on our show today, we will be taking a look at the latest iteration of Black Panther Wakanda Forever. We're excited about it. And I've got my good buddy Caleb here to talk about it with. How are you doing, Caleb? I'm great. How are you today, Mark? Excellent. I, I am doing pretty good. It's been an interesting day in my life, but I'm so excited to be here doing this show. Uh, let's let's do a little bit of, of uh, groundwork here. First of all, we are sponsored by progressivechristianity.org. We highly encourage you to go to progressivechristianity.org and check out all the resources there. Also, uh, please, please, please uh, follow us on Facebook where you get our updates. You'll know what shows are coming out. Uh, and if you have thoughts or suggestions, we can talk about it there as well. And most importantly, as always, be very heavily aware that this is a spoiler full zone. Uh, we will be spoiling the heck out of this movie. Uh, and that includes uh, a twist that happens. We will probably end up maybe bringing up depending on where the conversation goes. So please know that that is going on. But before we get into all of that, let's talk about our themed cocktails. Caleb, what are you, what are you having today? Very important to start out with a drink. Absolutely. That's right. We've got to start it right, man. Got to, yeah. And what's <laughs> what's more right than starting out by drinking? So exactly. we're talking. It puts you in the right, right frame of mind, right? <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. yeah okay. Absolutely. So we're talking about Wakanda forever, and I thought, yes. okay, I need I need a, something that's kind of a, a dark drink. And I went to my cabinet and I thought, hmm, what what strikes me as a Black Panther drink? And so I go. didn't. I didn't look up any cocktails. I just. Right, I just right. did it myself. And so I thought, okay, um, I need some alcohol in there. I'm going to put some vodka, uh, and yeah. uh, and Kahlua. Uh, I've got Kahlua. Right, that's like that's dark. And then I, I put Love soda it. water in here. So I think it's actually a fizzy black Russian is what I've made. But uh, oh. the interesting thing about this, Mark, I, I want to know how this tastes in a moment because I only had vanilla vodka. And I also okay. only had lime well, soda water. that good with the Kahlua. Why, yeah, why soda? Lime soda water. So I've got okay. vanilla and kind of coffee flavored and, and lime. All yeah, right. so let's, uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and what? taste let it. Me, let me see what you think of it. I'm very curious. You know what? Uh, I, yeah. I think it goes together. Yeah, yeah I, I like it. Yeah. Very okay, nice. how about you? What well, are you drinking? Well, I've gone. I did look up a drink, and I've gone with one that 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 is uh, the heart of Wakanda cocktail. I thought, particularly mm. with you know the heart shaped uh, mm -hmm. um, um, herbs that they use, and then we have Iron Heart who makes an appearance in this. Mm -hmm. So this drink right. is bought two parts vodka, four parts of grenadine, four parts blue carousel, a splash of lemonade. Mm -hmm a splash of uh, lemon lime soda. And then just for fun, I've rimmed it with some nice purple uh, sugar. And we get this nice yeah. kind of dark purple, almost like the liquid from I, the, 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 the heart-shaped uh, um, herbs. So I'm sure this is going to be good. I'm not worried about it at all, but I'm going to have a sip right now. Yeah, tell me. And it does not disappoint. It's quite delicious. Quite delicious. Now, but does it take you to the ancestral mm. plane? Are you on the ancestral because plane right now? I am pretty sure if I drink enough of this, I will be. <laughs> you will be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Let's go to a break and we'll come back on the other side with our geeking out segment. Jesus. Jesus. 
and welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show, where today we are talking about Wakanda Forever, and we are going to have some spoilers, as Mark mentioned. Absolutely. This is our time to geek out about this wonderful movie. So this is the sequel to the well-reviewed 2018 film Black Panther, and it shows the nation of Wakanda in the wake of King T'Challa's death, and particularly follows King T'Challa's sister, Princess Shuri. Now, I think there's a lot to unpack with all of that, but I think maybe the the first question, Mark, that it might be good for us to kind of dig into and geek out about a little bit is, how do you think they dealt with King T'Challa's death? Uh, Were you happy with kind of the way that they they dealt with that? They didn't really give much of an explanation of what happened to him. Uh, What do you think about that approach? It's difficult whenever uh, the main Mm -hmm. character who's holding the movie together... is no longer there. The actor dies, and it's yeah. it's always a, a thing. Can can you continue or not? Uh, they decided to. Uh, they decided to to shift gears a little bit and and yeah. deal with what happened in the wake of the character's death as the actor yeah. who who played him died. What do you think? What do you think about the way they handled? I, it? I thought they did a, a fantastic job. I mean, there were so many think, decisions that had to be made. They had already written the script for the new movie, and they had to go back and redo the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the way they handled it, that they, they didn't make it, um, they, they didn't try to recast him. They didn't try right. to make up some kind of crazy battle scene where we halfway see him and he dies in it or something. Uh, I, I love the fact that they dealt with the fact that the audience, that the actors and actresses, that the director who was friends, close friends mm-hmm. with uh, mm-hmm. Chadwick Bowman, um, that they were that we we're all dealing with grief and that, that this movie without him was going to recall some of that. And I think they did not only a brilliant job of how they handled it, and we can talk a little bit more uh, about some of the choices they made because I think yeah, some of them were right. brilliant. But the fact that they went ahead and just basically made this a movie about grief, uh, which ties in so well, actually, uh, oddly, with phase four of the yeah, MCU, right. um, that, that there's been a lot of stuff about grief. Uh, we... We uh, kind of the theme that we that we got from uh, was it Vision, who said, uh, "What is grief if not love persevering?" Which Great seems line. to almost be at this point like the the arching statement over Phase Four in a lot of ways. I don't know. I mean, what do you think of how they, they they decided to approach this? Yeah, I agree. I think it. I think they handled it very well. I, I think it was wise not to not to give too much detail. I think that that allowed us to really focus on the characters and the grief. And yeah. I noticed that connection with Phase Four too, and the, the both the theme of grief and of upending kind of the normal and they expected the status quo. And so right. in, in like uh, into the Spider Verse, right? We we get this this notion of of everything that we've known is forgotten, and only one character or two kind of remember what's going on. And uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, we get uh, Scarlet Witch going through mm. after her grief that you were just mentioning in WandaVision. She goes through and destroys whole universe trying to recuperate from grief. And so I, I agree with you. I think that uh, that grief is a prominent theme of this. And yeah. uh, this, uh, this is one of the things that I think is brilliant about the way that Marvel makes films is that yeah. I think in a lot of ways that's, that's, uh, that's reflective of what we're doing in society. And I think best... Uh, the best films are reflective of the time period in which they're they're made, right? And so yeah. we're in this time of grief, 
with uh, yep. as we're kind of post COVID, uh, hopefully post Trump, right? He's uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. So you're angling that way. Yeah, hopefully post Trump, and uh, yeah, I I think that grief is is so important uh, in, in all of this. So one of the other things that I noticed, Mark, and I'm curious yeah. about uh, about how you thought about this, is that. Black Panther, I think, in, in thinking about how it's it's tied into culture, Black Panther in 2018 was such not only a, a significant film, but it was culturally significant because it, it showed for a lot of Black Americans in particular what it might have been like if there were a country that were uncorrupted by Western influence, by colonialization. And I think mm-hmm. that, that was hopeful for a lot of people. Uh, how do you think that this film did in living up to that reputation? I mean, is it going to have the I same think, kind of cultural impact? Uh, what do you think? It's going to have the same, but but it, uh, it is going to have a, a, an impact on that. I think they did a great job of of furthering the discussion about colonialism, dangers of it, and and how horrific it is. Um, I even love um, when we shift over to the, the the new civilization that we find out about. Mm-hmm. And uh, Namor talking about how um, he, in, he ultimately he, he he is a, a result of colonialism, and we yeah. see uh, when he comes ashore, when the the priests are still occupying the land of, of his people, and um, I, I love the way they basically show religion, assuming something is evil and demonic just because it doesn't understand. Mm-hmm. Because they see him come above, and then the the priest says, mm-hmm. "Thou art a demon, uh, a son right. of Satan," um, and it's really just that something I don't understand and and I can't comprehend. So I immediately are going to cast you as evil, and and I mm-hmm. think they did a beautiful job of continuing the conversation. In this one, we don't see it being made quite as primary because I think they necessarily focused on I would say grief, its relationship to vengeance, and then hope and love and unity. And I felt like that was such a brilliant move when uh, it first came out. You know, we were dealing with a lot of folks, particularly in the United States, feeling more free to be aggressive towards minorities. And so mm-hmm. the empowerment that came from the movie was so important. And as you pointed out, hopefully we're past that kind of uh, Trump error. And to move into the grief uh, and the need and the feel for vengeance, but also the voice of, 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 of living into love and how hopeful that is and how important it is to find unity. I think we're at the perfect stage in our, our history to be refocusing on those things. And I love that they've kind of made that shift as they were trying to help us process the grief of, of losing this amazing actor and the, the lead in, in the story that we all have become so invested in. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that really made this uh, this movie work was exactly what you mentioned, that they really did deal with colonialism in a very, I think, in a very powerful way, seeing this Mesoamerican culture that was Mm -hmm. impacted by uh, colonialism, uh, the the influx of smallpox and other disease. And they they had to take this mystical kind of potion like the one you're drinking today no that's different isn't it so that's a different well it'll, i'm hoping it's going to be mystical after the second one i don't know i'll find out 
so they take this potion that allows them to breathe underwater, to live underwater. And we see what mm. Mesoamerica might have been if it were untouched by colonialism. And I thought right. that that was really powerful to see that there's this other uh, this other culture that was uh, that that had been untouched. So uh, I, I think that's one of the things that really made this film work is that they leaned into another marginalized community. One thing that made me nervous, though, Mark, uh, and yeah. I, don't, I don't know how you feel about this, is that mm-hmm. then uh, the folks who were this Mesoamerican underneath the water kind of civilization uh, were were outwardly aggressive to attack the world. And yeah. I, I was afraid of how that was going to play out. Like, are we portraying people of color as inherently violent and, and vindictive? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Did you have any of those concerns <laughs> as you saw any of that? Well, did you have I mean, more faith I, I was, in Marvel than I did? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 was, I was obviously very interested to see where they were going to go with it. I did yeah. like, though, that they were being honest about when um, you, you have when you as a people have yeah. been uh, 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 marginalized and, and, and uh, lorded over by a group of folks, that there is this natural need not only to react maybe in a vengeful way, but in a protective way. They did seem to play with this idea, particularly in Namor and the way that he was talking about why he wanted to, to, uh, to, to kill uh, Ironheart ultimately. Um, that it was is it wasn't like I love the shift. It felt like vengeful at first, but then it was like, look, this is just about protecting my people. Like mm-hmm. we can't have that 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 colonization and everything that it did to our people was so horrible. That the death of one person might be necessary. I love that ultimately it doesn't happen, and I think that's what we have to focus on is that there is a progression of. Um, learning and recognizing what we need to be and who we need to be. But I love that they were willing to address that because it is, he's this wonderful bad guy because you kind of get why he's the bad guy. Um, And I love that we see that a lot in, in, in Marvel. Um, And there is this just edge where as he talks out why he wants to, you know, destroy people or the world or whoever, but particularly Ironheart, you kind of go, ah, yeah, um, I, I get where you're coming from. Like, like right. this makes some sense. I love that they were willing to grapple with it, but even more so, I love the outcome that they had in that they recognized it wasn't necessary. And I think that that is one of the things that makes this movie really brilliant is that the outcome we come up with shows, you know, these two countries that are are warring with each other, but really have a lot in common. And what it takes is extending some understanding and compassion. And so whenever Shuri decides that she's not going to kill this uh, this king of this underwater empire and decides to to extend him grace and to say, Hey, look, uh, I, I think that we have a lot to learn from each other and that we could uh, that we could work together whenever she extends kind of that diplomacy that it mm-hmm. uh, it, it really enables these communities to live together. Yeah. And I and, and that was like a personal lesson for me, too. Like, man, yeah. oh, yeah. Even when people have really wronged <laughs> you, uh, it's mm-hmm. better if you can find a way to live in grace, it's better if you yeah. can find a way to 
remember that that person is a human and think about what that person mm -hmm. has been through. And whenever she comes to that decision, I, I thought yeah. this was a brilliant moment. We see flashbacks of her story and his story lining up. And so we see these people who have both personally really suffered, but also yeah. their communities have suffered as marginalized people. And it tells those stories in parallel. And right. that was really a powerful and moment for me. I, I agree. And I love the line, as you point out, that, that they talk about, you talked about personally and as community. And the line where she shifts, she says, vengeance has consumed us, speaking of her and Namor. Mm -hmm. I will not let it consume our people. Oh, it's kind of a beautiful moment where it all shifted, where it was recognizing that it's bigger than me and bigger than us. And, and, and that whole vengeance theme, you know, vengeance has consumed us, was such an important part. And it, and, and it was important in relationship to grief. And I loved how that played out when she drank the liquid of the, the heart mm -hmm. her, herb. And we, we go to whatever her um, um, uh, ancient ancestral place is going to be because it changes for different folks. Right. Yeah. And uh, we think, oh my gosh, or, like, I don't know about you. I panicked a little bit when she came in from behind the throne and uh -huh. it seemed like, oh no, I think, are they going to show her brother? Because if they're going to yeah. do some kind of CGI, it's like, how yeah. disappointed no, am I? No, thank oh, you. Please, uh, please don't. Yeah. But then it turns out to be Warmonger, her, her cousin. And the discussion they have is so incredible about why she's there. And, and it does begin to play out. Like, that's a big turning point in the movie. And that's why I keep going back to that. They're making this interesting connection between grief and vengeance, particularly when grief uh -huh. is because of outside sources, not of natural causes. Yeah. Um, and, and she's looking for vengeance for her mom, just like yeah. uh, uh, Warmonger was looking for vengeance for his dad. And I, I just love the way that they, 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 they wove that, theme throughout the movie and then let that big final fight scene be the moment where like you said through visions they recognize the importance of of uh, not letting vengeance consume the people because they know that that would be the end of the people in some ways and i love that whenever she had that conversation with her cousin on the ancestral plane that we didn't get to see all of it and we don't get to see the final part of that conversation until she's in this this last minute mm -hmm. this battle where everything's yeah. on the line and and we flash back to the ancestral plane where she says i'm not noble like my brother I, yep. i'm going to kill him i'm going to make him pay but then she decides not to which i think is a powerful statement about us always yep. having the power to change our mind and always having the power to confront vengeance yeah. and violence and uh and whew, that was that was good. So I I, I love this. I, I wish we could geek out about this for a long time. <laughs> I also want to talk about cinematography. I also want to talk about that incredible oh my God. score. I want to talk about and Angela Bassett. We haven't even talked about <laughs> her performance. Oh my God, she was amazing. I know. I can right? watch her. I can watch clips of her doing uh queen romanda like over and over again yeah, and just day. have that on all loop day. it was incredible can, can she be our queen uh i mean yes, it's please. uh, <laughs> uh yes, th please. there's so much to talk about but uh, and we've already kind of started talking about theopolitical and that's because in a movie like this it's so yeah. interwoven into the fabric of what the movie is you can't help it 
But I think we need to formally switch to talking about Theo Politico. So how about this? How about we uh, take just a break uh, for just a moment for the drop and come back and talk about theology and politics. Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. You're joining us for our theopolitical segment. And, and, and Caleb, I'm just going to be honest. I think that I'm going to keep this a, a lot of times we're heavy political. I think theologically, there's a lot of ground to, uh, to, to, to kind of struggle yep. with here. And I want to start with just a straight up theological that they set up at the beginning of the movie and get mm-hmm. your take on how it plays out throughout it. At the very beginning of the movie, as her brother is dying, Shuri prays to their God and basically says, hey, uh, if if you'll let me make this potion to save my brother, I, I will start believing in you or I'll stop not I'll stop doubting in you or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is kind of twofold. One, what do you see her her path being throughout the movie? And does she end up being a believer at the end? But but two, how does that relate to us as people, particularly progressive Christians? In uh, one of my favorite lines in the Bible is, uh, "I believe, help me in my disbelief." Um, I'm, I'm curious how you feel like that her story in this movie might relate to particularly progressive Christians in our willingness to struggle with uh, theological positions and 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 even in our belief in what God is or isn't. So that's a great line. The very first line in the movie, right? Help me Mm -hmm. heal my brother and I'll never question your existence again. I mean, for a theologian, you can't ask for much of a better line to to start a movie. The rest of the movie right there, you're like, okay, I am paying attention. (laughs) That's right. I mean, especially for folks like us who go into the movie uh, to watch it, knowing we're going to talk about it. That's that's great. And how many times do we hear as pastors, Mark? People bargaining with God. If mm-hmm. uh, if you do this for me, I will do this. I will believe in you. As if uh, what God necessarily needs is belief. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, so right. the first part of your question, I'll try to address first. So, I, does she become a believer? What's her path like? Does she become a believer? I don't know that she becomes a believer as much as she sees that it's necessary for her people. And so I think she comes to realize over the course of the movie that the rituals, the practices, the beliefs that her people embrace are important for them culturally. I think she sees herself as finding meaning in other pieces and uh, particularly in technology. And I think she's supposed to represent kind of this tension between modernism and traditionalism and sure. uh, pushing her people towards modernism. And I think that's supposed to reflect our own struggle as a, as a society between modernism and traditionalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, as you and I, I think both are on the same page about this, Mark. I don't think it's dichotomous, right? It's not one or the other. Excellent. And so one of the you're, things- You're, you're jumping think- way ahead of me. That was going to be my next question to you. So I love that you've already, <laughs> this just shows that we are in the same space, man. I'm with I you. Know it, Mark. We've been doing this for too long together, right? (laughs) Right, right, Exactly. (laughs) 
But I, so I think this is something that Shuri stands to learn from her people because one of the things mm-hmm. that I thought was beautiful about this movie was that it intimately married the traditions and the the technology together, the the present right. together, right? So so like in thinking about the funeral, as they're doing this this ancient kind of dance they're singing the songs of their people they're having this funeral rite and then king t'challa and then later the queen they're they're then yep. lifted up into this great technological uh, aircraft right that's beyond right. understanding and so they married these two things together and i think that faith can be like that that our faith exactly. can marry what's going on that we know to be true in the world around us, advancements and all, with traditions of our past. So part one, uh, I, I don't know that she became a believer, but I think she has some stuff to learn from her people. Part two, uh, what does this uh, what does this say about how we deal with God? You know, I think that uh, I, I I think that a lot of people try to bargain with God and try to have the, these conversations where, where they say, God, you know, if you'll do this for me, then, then I will do this. And my favorite line that you have said, Mark, uh, and I, I love this, is that you compared uh, that kind of request to a vending machine God, right? You put, you put in something and you expect something out. I I think that's, I I think it's Pete Ennis. I'm trying to remember who I no. It's drier, I think. Anyway, it, I, I stole the line, but it's just the perfect. For, you, for me, it's you. Mark Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Sandler said, there's a vending God. Yeah, and you I, put, you I put love... the prayers in and the blessings come out. And the blessings come out, right? And yeah, so that's, right. that's bad theology. And so yeah, I, I think that a lot of people espouse that kind of bad theology. Uh, what do you think, Mark? Sorry, that was a long answer to no, that's, uh, a two-part question, but I want to know what you think no, about it, too. I absolutely love your answer to it. Uh, no, I, I think that she begins as a complete non-believer, and by the end of the movie, that she is a believer curious. Like, I think she's ex- had some experiences. Like, her, her mother, when she first tries to get her to, to uh, burn her funeral garment, tells her mm-hmm. that after I did it, I felt the hand of your brother on my shoulder and she says um yeah that was probably just the wind or something mom whatever but but at the same time going back to how they handled this is going to be a a kind of convoluted answer here going back to how the movie handled the the passing of chadwick bosman um bozeman i love that at the beginning of the movie right as the funeral is beginning we get that 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 wonderful you know uh, um marvel logo roll in mm-hmm. that happens but they've replaced all the superhero oh, moves with him yes. and 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 all and, and i felt like that was sort of an ode to his character to mm-hmm. not mean i'm not to his character but to the actor and there was this wonderful thing that happened all the music dropped out and all we heard was Mm-hmm. And 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 in in theology, uh, God is ruha, is the spirit, is the breath, is in the breath. Uh, 
And then at the end of the movie, as she finally, what she didn't burn that garment with her mom, but she finally at the end of the movie goes, after she's worn, kind of carried that garment with her throughout the movie, kind of carried that grief with her through the whole thing, including carrying her brother's grief into her mother's funeral and grief. At the end, when she burns it, all the music drops out again. And we Mm -hmm. get this. And for me, there was this kind of beautiful moment where I can't help but wonder if she made this connection, uh, that hand of my brother on my shoulder, the breath of his spirit is still with us. For me, it Mm. felt like maybe she had this brief moment of maybe there is something, maybe it's not what my ancestors thought, which let's be honest, a lot of progressive Christianity is about that, uh, that, that what we understand God to be, how we under experience uh, the afterlife or whatever might not be what uh, our ancestors did, but we believe there is something there. I kind of feel like she may have arrived at a moment where she felt like there was something that she, uh, Hmm. but I just love that they were willing to struggle with the relationship between science and uh, spirituality and not be dismissive of either, but to make space for them to exist together. Yeah. Yeah, I love that too. You know, and uh, I, I'm thinking as you were talking about how uh, um, how that mirrors my own journey. You know, I've always kind of believed mm-hmm. in in something, and I've always been a part of church. And uh, mm-hmm. but early in my ministry, I was much more skeptical of people's experiences like that. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, if people would tell me they had an experience with the, with God or they saw God or saw a loved one or something, I'd be like, okay, well, you know, there's probably some kind of mental illness at play here in this conversation. <laughs> right? Hey, that's uh, fair. It's fair. Yep. And I mean, maybe sometimes there was, but I think over time I've said, uh, you know, Caleb, you need to be a little more open to uh, what's possible. I mean, not not discounting uh, science and experience and psychology, but saying yeah. that hey, people can have experiences that you can't explain. And you need to let those people have those experiences and not automatically snap to a judgment and try and diagnose these people. (laughs) You know, don't have your DSM open necessarily as you're trying to... Well, and that leads me to to another question that I feel like was was being openly asked, and you kind of hinted at that that's where... where Shuri arrived is that Mm -hmm. do do we, as a peoples, do we hold some of our religious beliefs because they are uh, true or, or is it sometimes that we hold them because they make us feel better? (laughs) Yes. So, and, uh, and I think I've been thinking about this a lot lately um, yeah. as uh, based on the conversations I've been having. But I think a lot of people really want to hold on to religious beliefs simply because they make them feel better. And even as people are in the process of deconstructing, right, which is what we talk about right. a lot in progressive Christianity, deconstructing this this history of, of, of belief that we've inherited and Mm -hmm. what we can let go of and stuff. And I feel like for a lot of people, the reason that's threatening is because ultimately for them, some of these beliefs uh, hold comfort. And I'm thinking particularly about beliefs about, say, things like uh, heaven and an afterlife. 
Uh, is this something that is? Yeah, and I want us it, to talk. It, I want us to talk more about this. So please continue. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, people, I think, even if they say, okay, well. Maybe it's not real clear what the Bible says about this or uh, about what actually happens, but uh, but I want to hold on to this because it's something that's personally significant to me. And 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 at a point, that's where their deconstruction stops, or uh, when they begin reconstructing, uh, then they have to they have to deal with that uh, in a in a different way. So I, I think yeah that that a lot of times people uh, have have trouble with uh with their their religious beliefs around this uh this yeah. theology of an afterlife so i'm curious what you want to dig yeah. in deeper what, with, what with i want to dig in on is look i'm yeah. one of probably <laughs> i i am one of the bigger folks that, that criticizes uh traditional mm-hmm. theology uh, for being simple-minded and, and 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 not based on reality and not investigating uh-huh. the text well enough um yeah. I, I was actually introduced by another minister to someone else as a iconoclast. Like this is one of the people who figured out how to be on the inside and, and insult all the in stuff that's going on. He meant it as a compliment. He meant it as a compliment because he's one too, ultimately. Yeah. But I have been recently in life because of folks that I care about um, struggling with uh, let me back up. This is what I've been struggling with, but I'm going to do it through the movie. My okay. question is the ancestral place. Uh-huh. In your opinion and how it has been presented, is this an actual place or is it a construct in their minds? I mean, Warmonger basically says Shuri conjured him. So is it a construct or is it meant to be real? Where do you think they're going with that? And, and I think this is an important question, and we're probably going to run over on this segment because I really want to dig in on this a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think that's a great question, and I don't think the movie answers it for us. But I, I think that really what what yeah, it is is, uh, uh, and and the same for us, right? Because I don't think we we necessarily get an answer to this in our life and yeah. in our faith. But I, I, I think uh, it is a construct for her and uh yeah. and so th- that she in her own mind conjures the person that she needs to mm-hmm. uh to move forward but yeah i don't right. think marvel gives us uh an explanation of that what do you think i completely agree i don't think they do yeah. but he- here's here here's uh, my struggle with the progressive christianity in, in this particular yeah, area yeah um we do a really good job and i think mm-hmm. necessary job at um, disproving traditional uh, theology about mm-hmm. the afterlife and that there's going to be yeah. some happy place, this golden streets, and we meet our loved ones and all of that, um, right. and, and can prove pretty much that the Bible never meant to imply that, that that was just right. a human need that got imposed on right. the Bible. Here's mm-hmm. the thing that I am struggling with. We do yeah. an absolutely horrible job at replacing it. Yeah. We do great at tearing it down. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but what are we giving people to say here? Because this movie is ultimately a movie about hope and moving forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do we give people when we deconstruct the afterlife, which played a very important role in this movie? What do yeah. we do that allows people a place for hope? 
of what it might be about re reuniting in some ways. And, and I'm going to point towards that there are there's some emerging science, and I think the movie talks you know kind of the play between science and, and spirituality. There's science about parallel universes and stuff that is starting to emerge that seem very real that could could give us hopeful spaces to investigate. But we all—it's almost like we're more interested in just disproving the, the old tradition, but not replacing it with something that's actually hopeful. Well, I, I am think I, the, am I am I overstating? No, no, you're not overstating because I think this is one of the struggles we have in progressive Christianity, and this this is something that I've talked about uh, quite a bit um, with folks is that. We're really interested in deconstructing. We're not real interested in reconstructing. And I think we're yep. reaching a time when we need to be giving people something. So uh, in terms of what we're thinking about, in terms of the afterlife and, and how it is that like uh, that, that people live on and how we replace yeah. this notion of kind of eternal life, I think I'll answer that with some insight from the movie. So I think what uh, Princess Shuri discovers is that... Uh, that maybe uh, she has some things to learn from those who have died already, who have passed before her, mm -hmm. and that she can implement in her life. So, like, whenever she's driven by vengeance, and then she decides that she does not have to act out of that, that maybe her mother and her brother have some wisdom to pass on uh, to her, and she makes that yeah. choice in the moment where she can kill the king, and she doesn't, I, I think that in a way she she's allowing their lives to influence her. And I think that's the reconstructing that we have to do mm -hmm. is that those people who have been influential to us, um, that, that their lives don't stop having an impact on us just because they're no longer with us in the same way, just because they've died, but that yeah. their lives continue to influence us. And in fact, if these are people who, um, who have lived good lives, right, who have followed the teachings of Jesus uh, about love and compassion and care and justice and peace, if we then implement those in our lives, then those people are not dead. They're living with us. And so well, I don't have anything to add about parallel universes or how well, all here's it can work. I, I, I want to I I go there. They're influenced. Yeah. Okay, you I, I'm going to piggyback. I'm going to piggyback okay. off of what you're doing because okay. I completely agree yep. with you. And I think you're right on the point. Right. And, and my first overly simplistic uh, answer is the wind, the wind, the spirit of a person. Like we are molecules. Mm -hmm. We are atoms that are built around a spirit. And we are seeing science start to talk about parallel. I mean, we know that energy doesn't cease to exist. So where does it go? Right. We're starting to see science talk about parallel universes. I think that that end scene where she's sitting at the fire and she hears that, mm. that air, that ruha, that spirit mm -hmm. breathing across and somehow experiencing her brother in it is an answer for us. And I think science can help us say this isn't some really lovely poetic thing. It is a lovely thing, but it doesn't stop there. That we're beginning yeah. to understand some scientific realities that suggest that their existence, that our experience of them is just different now, but it's still there. And that doesn't preclude exactly what you're saying of also uh, living into who they were and expressing it in our own lives and carrying their life through that. 
Uh, and there's some there's something beautiful and 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 uh, lovely and um, eternal about those things. Yeah, yeah. All right. I love it. Listen, we could go on and on with this. We've already gone over this segment, and we're we will. Take a break here. <laughs> yeah, we will. Yeah, we're going to take a break here, and we're going to come back with our favorite segment. Make me look stupid. Woo. Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. We are in our big favorite segment, Make Me Look Stupid. Thank you for all of you who have hung around for all of this. Yes, yes. yes. Moonshine and theology talking <laughs> and political talking and uh, discussion of Black Panther, uh, Wakanda Forever. So there are a lot of things that we've talked about today and a lot of things we could talk about. Yeah. Uh, but here's what I want to know, Mark, because we haven't yes. gotten to this yet. And I think this is okay. essential. Um, the plot twist that you mentioned earlier, which mm-hmm. is that I, I'm assuming that you were referring to this mid credit scene where we discover that uh, that Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman's yep. character, had a kid yep. with, uh, with his girlfriend. And so... Uh, here he is uh, living in Haiti. The son is living in Haiti with his mom. And so I'm curious uh, what you think that's going to mean. Is that uh, is that kid going to become the Black Panther? Is he going to become the king? Is Shuri going to stay as the Black Panther? What do you think is in the future for the Black Panther? Uh, Panther franchise? And what do you think? Uh, I, I think Shuri's going to be Black Panther briefly. And I'm going to say something that's going to make people not like me. I think she's going to die within the first movie of her being Black Panther. No! Yeah, I got a, fe- I got a feeling. Because of that yeah. that post credit scene, I think what we're going to have, because we're about to move into Phase 5, which is going to play yeah. a lot, I believe, particularly since Kong is going to be such an important part of it. Um, I think we're going to be playing a lot with timelines. So it will not surprise me that this kid that is too young right now to be Black Panther Mm -hmm. through something that happens ends up being old enough to take over that that helm and might necessarily need to because of her passing. I don't think they would have set it up knowing that, well, we've got another 18 years before this... (laughs) actor can actually take the <coughs> there's no way they did that they wouldn't have given him this name if they weren't planning on having him do yeah. and like i said i am fairly certain i could be completely off base but i'm fairly certain that kong's cause of kong we're going to be dealing with timeline stuff we're going to be jumping all around and it wouldn't be surprising that someone who is too young right now uh, even uh, uh wanda's kids who aren't quite old enough to be superheroes but are going to be part of the new Avengers, at least they are in the comics. <sighs> kind of feel like that that might be where we're heading. I don't know. I mean, what what were your thoughts? Yeah, uh, I, I think he will be eventually. I hope that Shuri gets some time as Black Panther. I think it was pretty Ready powerful too. to have a female in that role and to really have strong female leads. I think that is mm-hmm. one thing 
that uh, that Marvel has done very well is to give us uh, in these uh, in Phase Four phase, in particular. Phase Four so in really, particular, which which yeah. means leading, I I definitely believe that Phase Five is going to be primarily female superheroes, which is going to be brilliant and add so many new perspectives and angles to what it means to be superhero. I, I'm excited about it. I, I am too. I am too. But I, I hope Shuri doesn't die in her first outing. Let's give her at least one out, one other outing because she didn't really get to be Black Panther very much. In this I, I, think that she'll have, I, I think she'll have one almost full complete. I think at the end of whatever her next one is that I hope I'm wrong, but why I, do you I introduce you this kid? Why do you introduce this kid? I know. At Chicago's like, you're usually know. right, Mark. You're usually uh, right. You well, know, and sometimes. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, that's one other thing we didn't talk about about this movie is that, you know, this was very different than I thought it was going to be. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I didn't really expect, I thought she was going to instantly take over the mantle of Black Panther, and she really didn't mm-hmm. until. Uh, three mm-hmm. quarters of the way through the movie, maybe, maybe even later than that. And so, it's, it's I actually one of the. I, I I like that she did. One of the things that we haven't talked about is I actually think, I think this is a, probably a better movie than the first one, and here's why. Uh, I think I there think. are some. I think there's some meta level things that are going on in this movie. I think this film itself, like you back out from it. I think the film itself is a metaphor for grieving. We deal with grieving in it and we do some great stuff in it. I think the film itself is a metaphor for grieving because the film, if you really kind of are analytical about it, is a little bit messy because like it's a superhero movie. And because it's a superhero movie, you need fast pacing. You need, this needs to happen. You need to move on. You need to get the next thing. You need to get the thing. But it's also a story about healing from grief, which needs slowness Hmm. and reflection. Mm Mm-hmm. And I feel like they figured out how to do them both. And that is such a, a reflection of what our lives are like. When we're in grief, we need slowness. We need time for reflection. But life is still going on. Life is still moving. And we have to figure out how to weave the two in and out of each other. And so I, I kind of feel like they did this incredible job of, of, of doing that with this movie for sure. Um, they definitely did. And I mean, that's maybe one of the reasons it was two hours and 45 minutes. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, All right. and I will admit that that's one of the things that I, uh, I thought about as I was going. Oh, yeah. Both I really wanted to see this and like, oh, it's almost three Do hours. I have time to see this? <laughs> <laughs> Do I have time? That feels right. like a lot. All right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Here, here's my question to you. Okay. Do you think that vibranium was sent to earth and assuming that you do because you should who sent it oh who sent vibranium to earth uh so okay so i do think it was i do think it was sent to earth i mean they they even said it uh in the in the movie they hinted at it pretty strongly i think yeah Yeah. they said if because uh there was the myth that it was in wakanda and they said well if it if a meteor hit it could have very well hit somewhere else besides wakanda because earth is mostly water it would have hit somewhere in the ocean that Mm -hmm. makes sense um gee uh i i I want to hear where you think. Yes, <laughs> Mark. 
It's been so long. It's been so long since one of us stumped say, the other. I'm not going to say I don't know. I'm going to say <laughs> I, I just really want right. to hear where you think it was sent from. <laughs> Tell me. Okay, I, I think looking at the way that they are telling uh, phase three and phase four of the MCU, uh-huh. knowing a tiny bit about the comics, yeah. I think the vibranium uh, was sent by the celestials. You know, those giant god yeah, likes yeah. that had like mm-hmm. eight eight eyes down the front of their... Yeah. And I, I suspect their armor is actually built from, from it. Because uh, in the comics, we, we find out that they... I'm trying to remember. They need... I don't know if they need or, or it makes it easier. But when when they incubate, when they make new celestials... They need vibranium to be part of it. They need a space to incubate in, and vibranium mm-hmm. is kind of the, the essential piece of that. So I, I feel like what we are having is a, a lead up to phase five where we're going to see the celestials yeah. being more and more involved, and that vibranium was sent to do two things, to provide an incubation place prior to all of the races and all of the, the civilizations that are here, and they incubated in it. But knowing that they could then use it, that mortals on the planet could use it to help them in the coming eternal war. Yeah, I, I, think I got I got thing. a little I got a little too deep geeky on that, didn't I? I uh, I, I love I showed, it, my, I showed my geek card a little too much. Right? You you showed it. You showed it uh, a little that, too much. That's great. And you know what? During phase five, I think we're going to find out one way or another. We'll find out if you're if you're right or not. You're fair. That's and right. Yeah, you're fair enough. <laughs> but I think that's fair a enough. good theory. Uh, we could talk about Wakanda forever, forever. We've missed so much. We've missed so much. We probably so much. would uh, because we're already over time. And I yeah. know that we would love to continue this. But here's the thing. we got to end the show, and we've got to let them know, Mark, what we're going to talk about next week. I am very curious. Do you? I, I, I am sort of out of ideas. Uh, what, what, what are you thinking we should do, man? Okay, so uh, as you know, I, I do love Marvel, but uh, I grew up with DC, and DC is close to my yeah. heart. And yeah. uh, it's a decent time to be a DC fan, too. Mm-hmm. I, I'll admit, DC is not as strong as Marvel. But, Particularly uh, the movie universe, but the serials, the television stuff isn't too bad, man. I've seen a lot of good. It's not too bad. Yeah. There's some good stuff, especially Titans. Have you been watching that? I've just started trying to catch back up. I Somehow I, I dropped out on season three, and I think season four is out now. But I it have is. just recently started re-watching season three. Okay, well, I've been making my way through season four, and I got to tell you, it's really yeah. good. Yeah, nice. so what do you think about doing that next week? Titans. Uh, season four of Titans? Season four of Titans. It's on HBO I'm all in. Max. You're oh, yeah, all I'm all in. in. I'd love to do okay. that. Okay, next week, we'll talk about Titans. Watch it on HBO Max. Uh, okay, until next time, uh, we'll catch you on uh, the Moonshine Jesus show. Moonshine Jesus. Nobody's Moonshine Jesus.